Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. Hodgson Burnett, published in 1911. If you'd like to listen to this story's episodes in order, go to snoozecast.com series. In the last episode, Mary continues her rainy midnight encounter with the mysterious boy Colin. Then she has an in-depth conversation with Martha about him as well. We will pick up during that discussion. your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. fire, considering all that Martha had revealed about Colin. I wonder, she said slowly, if it would not do him good to go out into a garden and watch things growing. It did me good. One of the worst fits he ever had said Martha, was one time they took him out where the roses is by the fountain. He'd been reading in a paper about people getting something he called rose cold, 
and he began to sneeze and said he'd got it, and then a new gardener, as didn't know the rules, passed by and looked at him curious. He threw himself into a passion, and he said he'd looked at him because he was going to be a hunchback. He cried himself into a fever and was ill all night. If he ever gets angry at me, I'll never go and see him again, said Mary. He'll have thee if he wants thee, said Martha. Thou may as well start to know that. Very soon afterward, a bell rang, and she rolled up her knitting. I dare say the nurse wants me to stay with them a bit, she said. I hope he's in a good temper. She was out of the room about ten minutes, and then she came back with a puzzled expression. Well, that has him bewitched, she said. He's up on his sofa with his picture books. He's told the nurse to stay away until six o'clock. I'm to wait in the next room. The minute she was gone, he called me, and he says, I want Mary Lennox to come and talk to me, and remember you're not to tell anyone. You'd better go as quick as you can. Mary was quite willing to go quickly. She did not want to see Colin as much as she wanted to see Dickon, but she wanted to see him very much. There was a bright fire on the hearth when she entered his room, and in the daylight she saw it was a very beautiful room indeed. There were rich colors in the rugs and hangings and pictures and books on the walls, which made it look glowing and comfortable, even in spite of the gray sky and falling rain. Colin looked rather like a picture himself. He was wrapped in a velvet dressing gown and sat against a big brocaded cushion. He had a red spot on each cheek. Come in, he said. I've been thinking about you all morning. I've been thinking about you too, answered Mary. You don't know how frightened Martha is. She says Mrs. Medlock will think she told me about you, and then she will be sent away. He frowned. Go and tell her to come here, he said. She's in the next room. Mary went and brought her back. Poor Martha was shaking in her shoes. Colin was still frowning. Have you to do what I please or have you not? He demanded. I have to do what you please, sir. Martha faltered, turning quite red. Has Medlock to do what I please? Everybody has, sir, said Martha. Well, then, if I order you to bring Miss Mary to me, 
How can Medlock send you away if she finds it out? Please don't let her, sir, pleaded Martha. I'll send her away if she dares to say a word about such a thing, said Master Craven grandly. She wouldn't like that, I can tell you. Thank you, sir, bobbing a curtsy. I want to do my duty, sir. What I want is your duty, said Colin, more grandly still. I'll take care of you. Now go away. When the door closed behind Martha, Colin found Mistress Mary gazing at him as if he had set her wondering. Why do you look at me like that? He asked her. What are you thinking about? I am thinking about two things. What are they? Sit down and tell me. The first one is this, said Mary, seating herself on the big stool. Once in India, I saw a boy who was a Raja. He had rubies and emeralds and diamonds stuck all over him. He spoke to his people just as you spoke to Martha. Everybody had to do everything he told them in a minute. I think they would have been killed if they hadn't. I shall make you tell me about Rajas presently, he said. But first tell me what the second thing was. I was thinking, said Mary, how different you are from Dickon. Who is Dickon? he said. What a queer name. She might as well tell him. She thought she could talk about Dickon without mentioning the secret garden. She had liked to hear Martha talk about him. Besides, she longed to talk about him. It would seem to bring him nearer. He is Martha's brother. He is twelve years old, she explained. He is not like anyone else in the world. He can charm foxes and squirrels and birds, just as the native people in India charm snakes. He plays a very soft tune on a pipe, and they come and listen. There were some big books on a table at his side, and he dragged one suddenly toward him. There is a picture of a snake charmer in this, he exclaimed. Come and look at it. The book was a beautiful one with superb colored illustrations, and he turned to one of them. Can he do that? he asked eagerly. He played on his pipe and they listened, Mary explained. But he doesn't call it magic. He says it's because he lives on the moor and he knows their ways. He says he feels sometimes as if he was a bird or a rabbit himself. He likes them so. I think he asked the robin questions. It seemed as if they talked to each other in soft chirps.
Colin lay back on his cushion, and his eyes grew larger and larger, and the spots on his cheeks burned. Tell me some more about him, he said. He knows all about eggs and nests, Mary went on, and he knows where foxes and badgers and otters live. He keeps them secret so that other boys won't find their holes and frighten them. He knows about everything that grows or lives on the moor. Does he like the moor? said Colin. How can he, when it's such a great, bare, dreary place? It's the most beautiful place, protested Mary. Thousands of lovely things grow on it and there are thousands of little creatures all busy building nests and making holes and burrows and chippering or singing or squeaking to each other. They are so busy and having such fun under the earth or in the trees or heather. It's their world. How do you know all that? said Colin, turning on his elbow to look at her. I have never been there once, really, said Mary, suddenly remembering. I only drove over it in the dark. I thought it was hideous. Martha told me about it first, and then Dickon. When Dickon talks about it, you feel as if you saw things and heard them, and as if you were standing in the heather with the sun shining and the gorse smelling like honey and all full of bees and butterflies. You never see anything if you're ill, said Colin restlessly. He looked like a person listening to a new sound in the distance and wondering what it was. You can't if you stay in a room said Mary. I couldn't go to the moor, he said in a resentful tone. Mary was silent for a minute, and then she said something bold. You might, sometime. He moved as if he were startled. Go on the moor, how could I? I'm going to die. How do you know? said Mary, unsympathetically. She didn't like the way he had of talking about dying. She did not feel very sympathetic. She felt rather as if he almost boasted about it. Oh, I've heard it ever since I remember, he answered crossly. They're always whispering about it and thinking I don't notice. They wish I would, too. Mistress Mary felt quite contrary. She pinched her lips together. If they wished I would, she said, I wouldn't. Who wishes you would? The servants, 
and of course Dr. Craven because he would get Misselthwaite and be rich instead of poor. He daren't say so, but he always looks cheerful when I am worse. When I had typhoid fever, his face got quite fat. I think my father wishes it, too. I don't believe he does, said Mary, quite obstinately. That made Colin turn and look at her again. Don't you? he said. And then he lay back on his cushion and was still, as if he were thinking. And there was quite a long silence. Perhaps they were both of them thinking strange things children do not usually think of. I like the Grand Doctor from London because he made them take the iron thing off, said Mary at last. Did he say you were going to die? No. Well, what did he say? He didn't whisper, Colin answered. Perhaps he knew I hated whispering. I heard him say one thing quite aloud. He said, The lad might live if he would make up his mind to it. Put him in the humor. It sounded as if he was in a temper. I'll tell you who would put you in the humor, perhaps, said Mary, reflecting. She felt as if she would like this thing to be settled, one way or the other. I believe Dickon would. He's always talking about live things. He never talks about dead things or things that are ill. He's always looking up in the sky to watch birds flying, or looking down at the earth to see something growing. He has such round blue eyes, and they are so wide open with looking about. And he laughs such a big laugh with his wide mouth, and his cheeks are as red, are as red as cherries. She pulled her stool nearer to the sofa, and her expression quite changed at the remembrance of the wide, curving mouth and wide, open eyes. See here, she said. Don't let us talk about dying. I don't like it. Let us talk about living. Let us talk and talk about Dickon and then we will look at your pictures. It was the best thing she could have said. To talk about Dickon meant to talk about the moor and about the cottage and the 14 people who lived in it on 16 shillings a week and the children who got fat on the moor grass like the wild ponies. And about Dickens' mother, and the skipping rope, and the moor with the sun on it, and about pale green points sticking up out of the black sod, 
and it was all so alive that Mary talked more than she had ever talked before. And Colin both talked and listened as he had never done either before. And they both began to laugh over nothings, as children will when they are happy together. And they laughed so that in the end they were making as much noise as if they had been two ordinary, healthy, natural, ten-year-old creatures, instead of a hard, little, unloving girl and a sickly boy who believed that he was going to die. They enjoyed themselves so much that they forgot about the pictures and they forgot about the time. They had been laughing quite loudly over Ben Weatherstaff and his robin, and Colin was actually sitting up as if he had forgotten about his weak back when he suddenly remembered something. Do you know there is one thing we have never once thought of, he said. We are cousins. It seems so queer that they had talked so much and never remembered this simple thing that they laughed more than ever because they had got into the humor to laugh at anything. And in the midst of the fun, the door opened and in walked Dr. Craven and Mrs. Medlock. Dr. Craven started an actual alarm, and Mrs. Medlock almost fell back because he had accidentally bumped against her. Good Lord, exclaimed poor Mrs. Medlock with her eyes almost starting out of her head. Good Lord! What is this? said Dr. Craven, coming forward. What does it mean? Then Mary was reminded of the boy Raja again. Colin answered as if neither the doctor's alarm nor Mrs. Medlock's terror were of the slightest consequence. He was as little disturbed or frightened as if an elderly cat and dog had walked into the room. This is my cousin, Mary Lennox, he said. I asked her to come and talk to me. I like her. She must come and talk to me whenever I send for her. Dr. Craven turned reproachfully to Mrs. Medlock. Oh, sir, she panted. I don't know how it's happened. There's not a servant on the place that dared to talk. They all have their orders. Nobody told her anything, said Colin. She heard me crying and found me herself. I'm glad she came. Don't be silly, Medlock. Mary saw that Dr. Craven did not look pleased, but it was quite plain that he dare not oppose his patient. He sat down by Colin 
and felt his pulse. I'm afraid there has been too much excitement. Excitement is not good for you, my boy, he said. I should be excited if she kept away, answered Colin, his eyes beginning to look dangerously sparkling. I am better. She makes me better. The nurse must bring up her tea with mine. We will have tea together. Mrs. Medlock and Dr. Craven looked at each other in a troubled way, but there was evidently nothing to be done. He does look rather better, sir, ventured Mrs. Medlock. But, thinking the matter over, he looked better this morning before she came into the room. She came into the room last night. She stayed with me a long time. She sang a Hindi song to me, and it made me go to sleep, said Colin. I was better when I wakened up. I wanted my breakfast. I want my tea now. Tell Nurse Medlock. Dr. Craven did not stay very long. He talked to the nurse for a few minutes when she came into the room and said a few words of warning to Colin. He must not talk too much. He must not forget that he was ill. He must not forget that he was very easily tired. Mary thought that there seemed to be a number of uncomfortable things he was not to forget. Colin looked fretful and kept his strange, black-lashed eyes fixed on Dr. Craven's face. I want to forget it, he said at last. She makes me forget it. That is why I want her. Dr. Craven did not look happy when he left the room. He gave a puzzled glance at the little girl sitting on the large stool. She had become a stiff, silent child again as soon as he entered, and he could not see what the attraction was. The boy actually did look brighter, however, and he sighed rather heavily as he went down the corridor. They are always wanting me to do and eat things that I don't want to, said Colin, as the nurse brought in the tea and put it on the table by the sofa. Now, if you'll eat, I will. Those muffins look so nice and hot. Tell me about Rajas. Chapter Fifteen. Nest Building After another week of rain, the high arch of blue sky appeared again, and the sun, which poured down, was quite hot. Though there had been no chance to see either the secret garden or Dickon, Mistress Mary 
had enjoyed herself very much. The week had not seemed long. She had spent hours of every day with Colin in his room, talking about Rajas or gardens or Dickon and the cottage on the moor. They had looked at the splendid books and pictures and sometimes Mary had read things to Colin and sometimes he had read a little to her. When he was amused and interested, she thought he scarcely looked like an invalid at all, except that his face was so colorless and he was always on the sofa. You are a sly young one to listen and get out of your bed to go following up on things like you did that night, Mrs. Medlock said once. But there's no saying. It's not been a sort of blessing to the lot of us. He's not had a tantrum or a whining fit since you made friends. The nurse was just going to give up the case because she was so sick of him. But she says she doesn't mind staying now you've gone on duty with her. Laughing a little. In her talks with Colin, Mary had tried to be very cautious about the secret garden. There were certain things she wanted to find out from him, but she felt that she must find them out without asking him direct questions. In the first place, as she began to like to be with him, she wanted to discover whether he was the kind of boy you could tell a secret to. He was not in the least like Dickon, but he was evidently so pleased with the idea of a garden no one knew anything about that she thought perhaps he could be trusted. But she had not known him long enough to be sure. The second thing she wanted to find out was this if he could be trusted, if he really could, wouldn't it be possible to take him to the garden without having anyone find it out? The Grand Doctor had said that he must have fresh air, and Colin had said that he would not mind fresh air in a secret garden. Perhaps if he had a great deal of fresh air and knew Dickon and the robin and saw things growing, he might not think so much about dying. Mary had seen herself in the glass sometimes lately when she had realized that she looked quite a different creature from the child she had seen when she arrived from India. This child looked nicer. 
even Martha, had seen a change in her. The air from the moor has done thee good already, she had said. Thou'rt not nigh so yeller, and thou'rt not nigh so scrawny. Even your hair doesn't slamp down on your head so flat. It's got some life in it, so it sticks out a bit. It's like me, said Mary. It's growing stronger and fatter. I'm sure there's more of it. It looks it for sure, said Martha, ruffling it up a little round her face. You're not half so ugly when it's that way and there's a bit of red on your cheeks. If gardens and fresh air had been good for her, perhaps they would be good for Colin. But then, if he hated people to look at him, perhaps he would not like to see Dickon either. <laughs>